0: We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7 today as we finish our series entitled Retro Church, Lessons from the Original Church, and our desire has been to see how the original church operated and what made them so successful. I think all of us would have to agree that they were very successful in reaching people in their day and uh, impacting their world. And all of us agree that that's where we need to be. We need to be reaching people in our day and impacting our world. And so what we find is that they began right where they were and began to build relationships or at least share the gospel with people they already had relationships with. And as we have studied along and read along, we have seen how God honored their labor and how God blessed them and how many thousands of souls were coming to Christ as a result of that 120 or so people that began sharing the gospel with those around them. As I read through chapters 6 and 7 in preparation for Uh, today, realizing and understanding that this is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and our thoughts and our minds are on Thanksgiving. I just looked at it from a perspective of what am I thankful for? What do I see here in this passage that really stands out to me, that really gives me opportunity to give thanks to God? And I realize, as we have already stated, that Thanksgiving is something we should do every day of our lives. It is a part of our worship, a part of our praise to God. We adore Him and we are so grateful for how He has touched our lives and how He has positively affected us. But as we're focusing on this today, I want to share some reasons for Thanksgiving. And I see several of those here in this passage. We're going to look at three of them and hopefully familiarize ourselves with what is happening here in Acts chapter 6 and in Acts chapter 7. The whole outcome of our study, I pray, is that our focus is on our Jerusalem. To understand that God has placed us here. Regardless of where we might wish we were or where we would want to be or what we might think is ideal, this is where God has us. And as we look around us in our Jerusalem, we know that, that there are people who need the Lord. Not only are there people who need the Lord, but I am convinced that just in our immediate area, there are people who are searching. There may be a family a block or two from here that is, their life is crumbling and they are desperately looking. For answers. And we are sitting here a block or two away from them with the answers. And so by some means, we have got to learn to connect with the people around us. And that precedence was set by the original church. The example was given because they went out from where they were and they began to reach people right where they were. And we see it You know, as you continue in the book of Acts, you see it going beyond that. You see that God uh, caused the people to be dispersed so that they began sharing the gospel everywhere. But the immediate concern and the number one responsibility that they felt was to share the gospel in Jerusalem first. That's our objective. That is what we want to do after all of these years of maybe not focusing on that as we should, that is where we are turning, to our Jerusalem, to begin here and go to the uttermost parts of the earth as we are taught in the Word of God. So, we look through this passage, and there are a few things that I want to share with you. First of all, about our thankfulness to God. We should be thankful because God is involved with His church. You might think, well, of course, God is involved with His church. I want us to see how involved God is with His church. God was concerned about the day-to-day activities of the church and how, how the church would grow and minister and impact their world, but also He was concerned about the workings of the church from inside the church and how the church was even operating. And we see that in Acts 6, 1 through 6, how he began talking about this office that he is instituting. Verse 1, "...now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution." Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parminius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Most of us realize that here, uh, this was the first deacons that were ever in the world, that ever existed. So he gave deacons to the church. And what a wonderful gift it is to have the deacons in the church. Uh, Brother Scott, who sang a moment ago, is one of our newer deacons. We have several of those. I'll not point out all of our deacons today, but I am grateful to God for men who are willing to serve in the capacity of deacons. And what we find here was that there were problems. It was a critical time for the church. We see they were growing. We understand there were a lot of people coming into the body. And the result of that was that there were a lot of people who were being neglected. A lot of people were, they were not uh, being taken care of. It was a different culture, a different time. We understand now that most people, you know, when they get to that point in their lives where they're, they're widows, they have at least something you know, the government helps with that through Social Security. Family are there. But in their day, they didn't have any of that. And what they did have, because they had come to Christ, they forfeited. And so there were a lot of people in great need. And the result was that the apostles were spending a lot of their time taking care of these people. And as it always is, they were, they were failing because they were unable The task was too great. And so deacons were brought into the picture so that they might be able to serve the people and help the people through this process. It was a critical time. It was a necessary time for something to be done. And what I see here is that God met the need, that God gave direction to the apostles so that they might be able to distribute Uh, the the load among other people who were qualified and willing to give of themselves in service in this way. So God made a way for the church to operate smoothly. He designated a job description, not only for the deacons, but for for the pastors who were involved there. It was a very clear and a plain message. But the main point is that God always takes care of His churches. You know, we should be grateful to God that He is on His throne and that He is very involved in the churches that exist in the world today. And I want you to understand that God is involved with this church. God is involved because He is involved in your life. God is involved because God is directing us through His Word and through His Holy Spirit. He has not abandoned us. He has not left us to fend for ourselves. But God is directly involved with us, and the Bible teaches us that. The Bible teaches us that He empowers us. Through His empowering Spirit, He gives us the ability to accomplish His will while we're here on the earth. You remember that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that we have already discussed when He said, "...you shall..." receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Again, beginning at Jerusalem, God was involved with the church. God wanted the church to go into the world beginning at Jerusalem and He said, I'm going to give you the ability to do that. I'm going to give you the power to do that so that you can accomplish my will. God is involved with us. He's not just put us out there and said, do the task. But He is walking with us. He is giving us the ability. He is giving us the power to do what He wants us to do. And I'm so glad for that because there's not one of us, no matter how dedicated we are, that could accomplish the great task that God has before us on our own. As a matter of fact, on our own, with our own ability, without God intervening and God giving grace and God giving His power and His sanction upon our lives and our ministry, we can do nothing. But Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. He is the one who gives me the strength to do that. So He empowers His church. And we are assured also that He loves His church. He has a great love for us. He has a relationship with us. In Ephesians chapter 5, he likens that and challenges husbands to love their wives the way he loves the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The relationship that Jesus has with His church is something maybe we can't comprehend, and yet it is something that we as husbands are to model our relationships with our wives uh, after. He said, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. When I look at the love that Jesus has for his church, I, I first of all understand that it was a sacrificial love. He gave his lifeblood for his church. Now, guys, I don't know the kind of relationship that you have with your wives. I don't know if you have that kind of a sacrificial relationship that you would die for them because you love them so much. And maybe... You could think of a a joke or two about that, but reality is that's the way Jesus loves His church. We are so loved by Him that He gave Himself for us. He died on the cross for us. And as a church, collectively, He died for us because of His great love that He has demonstrated toward us. That was the demonstration of His love. And so we could stop for just a moment and re-challenge ourselves as men of God, as husbands, to love our wives like Christ loved the church, to love them with a sacrificial love, love them with a deep, abiding, agape love, as is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Well, we go back to what we are thankful for, and I am so thankful that He loves this church. He hasn't cast us aside. He hasn't deemed us worthless. He hasn't attempted to divorce us in any way. His love is for us. He is passionate for this church, and he cares for us. I'm grateful for that. We also see that he provides for his church. You know that is something that we find recorded in his word. He, he is willing to provide for his church. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Philippi when this statement was made. And I remind you that it is by inspiration of God that it was made. And as we look at the church at Philippi, we understand, because we see that they were a godly church, a mission-minded church, a church that was involved in the work of God. He said, Indeed, I have all and abound. That's what Paul said, I've got everything I need. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. Paul, the missionary, is saying, You have blessed me, church at Philippi. It was a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So we see a church that is reaching out to a missionary in a sacrificial way, making sure that the missionary had everything that he needed. And Paul said, I've got everything I need. I am full. And in verse 19, Paul said, and my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What He is saying here to us as a church, if we are plugged in to doing what is important to God, God is going to make sure that we have enough to take care of our needs. My God shall supply your needs. The problem is, we are often not plugged in to what is important to God. We are plugged in to what may make us look good, or we are plugged in to programs that that we have to manipulate people. That happens in churches. But when we are plugged into what God is interested in, which is people beginning at Jerusalem, then God is going to see to it that our needs are met. When we cease to being plugged in to the will of God, then God pretty much says, well, you know, you're on your own. Have at it. The point is, God cares for this church. He has given us great men to serve in this place. Men who are willing to serve as Deacons and give of their time and their energy to be in positions of leadership when it comes to service. He has given us power, His ability to do His work on the face of the earth. And He is loving us through it all and providing for us that we might be an extension of His love to our community and to our world. And so I'm thankful that God is involved with us that He has not just set us aside and told us to do the work without Him. He is here, as He promised. Also, as I continue to read through chapter 6, I realize that we can be thankful because God blesses the faithfulness of His church. He blesses the faithfulness of His church. We see that over and over throughout the Word of God. that when the church is obedient to the will of God, when the church is plugged into the will of God, God blesses the church. He adds to the church. And we see that here. The Lord added to the church. Actually, verse 7 says, Then the Word of God spread, and the number of disciples were multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many great a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. The point being that not only were the common people coming to Christ, but also the religious people who, who previously had no use for Jesus, they themselves were understanding the gospel, being convicted and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, I said the Lord added to the church, but do you know what it says here? that the Lord multiplied the church. You know, they were not having additions. They were having multiplications. They were reaching people so quickly, they were multiplying right there. And the church was growing tremendously. So the Lord is adding to us. And what I find when I study the Bible is that God is in the church building business. I don't mean that God goes around laying bricks, you know, and pouring concrete and erecting physical buildings. What I'm saying is that God is the one who is building the church. God is adding to the church. That is His heart. That is His desire. Jesus said in Matthew 16 and 18, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He's speaking about himself on this rock. Jesus is the rock. He is the rock of ages. He's saying on this rock, I will build my church. And what I see here is that Jesus is the church builder. He is the one who adds to the church. And so as members of this church, we we just stop and say, thank you, Lord, for adding me to this church. You know God directed your steps, He directed your path, He put you where He wants you to be, and He places you there so that you might serve Him. 1 Corinthians 12 and 18, you're going to find a discussion there about the body and how He sets the members in the body, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. So God has placed us here. It's no accident that you are here today. Even if you're a guest today, it is not an accident that you are here. God intentionally has brought you here today. God wants to meet with you because God has a message for you. And God has allowed us to become a part of this body so that we could reach the world in His name and... We have a unique church. You know, any and every church can say that because this is the only church that I'm a member of and this is, if you're a member of this church, this is your church of your membership, you know, and we're unique people. There are other words, peculiar, strange, different, you know, that could be applied to that. But obviously, we're very unique people. I look across this group now And look at all the different people that are here. And God has brought us all together on the same page because He knows that we are gifted and talented in different ways. And He knows that we have just exactly what we need to go out into the kingdom of God, to go out into the world, and to reach people for His honor and glory. And so God is building the church. But... If we are unwilling to be used of God, then we pretty much bring to a halt the work of God happening. But when preachers preach, and when the deacons deek, and the members reach, God blesses. You know, God shows up because that's how He designed us, that's how He laid it all out so that we would be involved in the ministry, reaching our world, and he adds to the church. And it's up to him, and I certainly don't want to be the one to take on that responsibility. I want God to move on hearts. I want people to know when they join this church that God was leading them to this church because God had a plan for their lives. And so I encourage you, if, you, if you're not a member here you know, and God is moving you to do that, you do that. If God is not moving you to do that, then you need to pray some more and, and maybe see if that's what God has in store for you. But for every one of us here, it is vital that we connect with God. So I'm saying to you, if you are not saved, you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ. It is so important that you understand That's what all of this is about. It's not about just building a group of people. It's about people like you understanding that they are sinners, understanding that you have a need and humbly coming before God in repentance and committing your life to Him. So I am very thankful to the fact that that God blesses the faithfulness of His people when we are willing to do what God has put us here on the earth to do, God blesses that. The precedence is set. We see it all through the Bible. And if it's not happening, then we have to accept full responsibility for that because God's ready. You know, I see Him sitting up in heaven. He's ready to pour out the blessings. Uh, he's ready, but He's just waiting on us to get where we need to be. One old preacher said, you need to get under the spout where the blessings are pouring out. And that is right in the center of the will of God. And God is calling each one of us to that place. Thirdly, we can be thankful because God raises up passionate men. God raises up passionate men. I am so grateful for that. It is is apparent that not every man is as passionate as some others. But within each and every one of us, the capacity for us to act upon our passion for God is there. If you know the Lord, God is calling us to be passionate men, following Him having our heart and our mind set on Him, choosing to follow Him regardless of the cost. And we read a list a while ago of the men that were ordained as as deacons. And the very first one on the list was Stephen, a man who was full of the Spirit of God which was a qualification for all of them. Yet he was singled out as a man who was passionate. So he had just been ordained as a deacon. And he was so passionate about spreading the word of God, willing to tell it like it is in the face of opposition, that God used him in a mighty way this day. Now, just remember, it's the early church. They have just stormed Jerusalem. And they were accused, we talked about last week, of turning the city upside down with their doctrine. They were causing quite a ruckus, a disturbance, because so many people were coming to Christ. And what a wonderful thing. Wouldn't it be great if, you know, we were called on the carpet for so many people coming to Christ and being willing to follow Him regardless of the cost? You say, well, that couldn't happen in America today. And I would just say, well, well, let's do it and see what kind of ruckus it might stir. But that's what was going on. And so Stephen, so passionate about God so willing to give of himself, went right out boldly and began to share the gospel. He was a man of courage and faith. We see that in, in verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And you see that that created problems. You know, it stirred up the people. In verse 10 it says, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Looking at a man full of Christ, full of the spirit of God, who now is speaking to a group of people, basically uh, religious Jewish people who were opposed to the gospel, and and Stephen is talking, and they're like, you know, compelled to listen. They were amazed at his wisdom as he spoke. And uh, so they they got together to uh, form an alliance against Stephen and to cause people to react to him and to make people hate him by spreading rumors and lies. In verse 15, it says, And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. I mean, they, they were amazed by this man who was standing, preaching. He was a deacon, by the way, a preaching deacon. He was telling the word, telling the story, giving a full historical account of the children of Israel as you read chapter 6 and 7, telling the whole story and he is doing this in front of people who are standing there with their mouth open because they are so amazed at this man who is so full of God that it is obvious. His story is a story of courage. It is a story of faith and boldness, perseverance, and someone who is willing to take a stand. In verses uh, 51 through 53 of chapter 7, you see Stephen's boldness and his final appeal. He said, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. He was not trying to win friends at this point. He was not being gentle at this point. I mean, he had just shared with them the entire history of Israel and now he is bringing it to a conclusion and he is basically accusing them of being involved in the murder of Jesus Christ. He believed so much in what he was doing that he was willing to die and he was killed for his stand. And I want to share verses 54 through 60 with you because it is a testimony of a man who is spent for God. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Well, they were mad they were they were more than mad they were convicted they were cut to the heart and they were they began to uh to speak to him with with hatred and malice towards him but he being full of the holy spirit Gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Boldness. I mean, now they're so mad at him, they were ready to kill him right on the spot. And he knew it. He had already been preaching Jesus. He'd already been telling them about Jesus and how he was nailed to the cross and how they were guilty of all of this. I mean, he indicted all of them. They were all guilty. And they were rejecting this. They didn't want it. And they wanted to shut his mouth. And then he says, you know, I'm looking up to heaven and I see Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And one more time, he is declaring that Jesus is God which they were rejecting. That Jesus is the Messiah you've waited for for all this time. It is Jesus. He is the one. And he keeps bringing that back to them. In verse 57, it says, "...and they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him." And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And that is significant. Saul of Tarsus, later the Apostle Paul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The man died right there because he was passionate about Jesus. Because he was willing to tell the message in the face of people who were directly opposed to the gospel. They did not want to hear about Jesus. They did not want to hear the message. They did not want to hear that Jesus died on the cross for them. And they certainly didn't want to hear anything about their own guilt in the matter. I think we can pretty much relate to our culture, our society today, because people don't want to hear the remedy for their sin. I mean, you see, Jesus was there to offer forgiveness, He was there to give them a reason to live, He was there to change them for the good. And they didn't want to hear it. You know, Churches are dying every day because people are not interested. They're not interested in going to church. They're not interested in serving God. They don't want to hear the message. They don't want to know what they're doing wrong. Don't preach to me. That's the idea people have. Don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. I don't want to hear it. And it's the same kind of mentality but I am encouraged that Stephen even though he knew no one wanted to hear the message no one was interested in what he had to say and it even angered them that he did not stop telling till his very last breath. He said Lord Jesus receive my spirit one more time. He said the name of Jesus, acknowledging that Jesus was in heaven and that he was about to go to him. Jesus was the reason Stephen lived. He was a passionate man. We read the story about Stephen and we have to ask ourselves the question, would I be willing to die for Jesus? But I don't at all think that is the question that God intends for us to ask ourselves by looking at the life of Stephen. The question that God wants us to ask ourselves, would I be willing to live for Jesus? Because that's what Stephen was doing. Death was just an interruption of his heart. You know, his heart quit beating You know, but through it all, he was living for Jesus. So the big question is, would I be willing to live for Jesus to the point, whatever the outcome is? Regardless of what it may bring. Regardless of how people respond to us. Would I be willing to live? Paul said, I beg you, brethren, To present your bodies a living sacrifice. God's asking you to live. God wants you to live. God wants you to live today to embrace life and to embrace Christ and make every day count for Him. And be passionate about Jesus I see Stephen as a great example. Uh, One that I would love to be there. One that I set high. The bar is set high. And I see passionate men, even in this church, who love the Lord and who are pursuing Christ with a passion. And when we get to that place, or we would live for him even if it cost us everything, then no doubt we will see God doing things among us that would astound us because he is God and he's looking for a few good men who are willing to give it all passionately every day for him. God help us to be those people who are willing to give it all. Let's pray together. Father, you know every heart here today. A lot of thankful people here today. We love you. We're grateful for all of your goodness. I just ask you, Father, that you would Help us to be the kind of uh, people that would be willing to give it all today, tomorrow, to be obedient to you, to do what you've called us to do, and do that without fail. I ask you that you would help us to learn from your early church and the people involved in those churches so that we can impact our world your glory. Thank you again for loving us and I just pray you'll add your blessings to this invitation time. I pray it in Jesus name.